To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, in the moments right now where we hear from God's Word, there are really two tasks that I see for us. First, there is the conclusion of our long series through the book of Romans that we began back in April, and we've skipped around a little bit, but we've been moving through the entire book uh, up until this point tonight. Summarizing, uh, our task then is summarizing the book and hearing together the word of the Lord as expressed in Paul's closing doxology that we just heard read by Bronwyn. Second, however, there's the task of our preparation for lament. This is the penultimate Sunday in the church year. Next week is Christ the King Sunday, this celebration of the lordship and sovereignty of Jesus, our good shepherd, our gentle savior. As has been our custom here at Church of the Cross, prior to Christ the King Sunday, this Sunday today, we take a moment and we name, we acknowledge the ways that we don't yet experience Christ as king. Where we don't see the full goodness of his reign in ourselves, in our families, in the the wider world. And lament does not come naturally to us, so we need preparation. On first blush, these two tasks, concluding Romans, preparing for lament, might seem like they exist in tension. We originally titled our series on Romans way back when, The God Who Does Not Fail. And the practice of lament is often about naming failures. Our failures, the failures we see in the world, perhaps even what we experience as the failures of God. So there's a tension, perhaps, a contrast there in our two tasks. Yet as we look this morning at these closing verses of Paul's letter to the Romans, and as we remember some of what we've heard along the way in this great letter, I think we'll see something noteworthy, a connection of sorts between these two tasks. As we look at these concluding words of praise, celebrating God, ascribing glory to him through Jesus, we get a picture of who God is that may actually invite the expression of our lament. As we recall that the God who Paul describes in Romans is the father of Jesus, the one who, if he's for us, none can be against us, we come to understand that this God is one to whom we can give the expression of our sorrows and sadnesses. The two tasks of this moment are unified, united in the character and goodness of God. In these closing verses of Romans, Paul rehearses again some of the themes from earlier in this letter. He uses terms that are found especially in the book's very early chapters to remind his readers, to remind us of the message of the book. Terms like my gospel, the prophetic writings, the obedience that comes through faith, and others like them are actually taken from Romans chapter 1. And the use of these terms here invites us to recall the content of what we've learned all these weeks and months in Romans. They are a reminder of how God has not failed in response to human sin and rebellion, in response to the ineffectiveness of the law in response to the division of human beings in their rebellion, Jew and Gentile alike. Every step of the way, Paul has emphasized the continued exquisite faithfulness of God to his promises to his people, 
and emphasize the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to mend what is broken, to bring together what is estranged. One of the primary goals of our series through Romans has been simply to be reminded of these truths, to be reminded of all that God has done for us in Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, to give the old story a fresh hearing, as we said. For many of us, there is perhaps a familiarity over the years from years of church life, a certain calcification that can take place, that can numb us to the profound goodness of this good news. What Paul is connecting us to here in these closing verses, with these echoes of earlier chapters and themes, and what we've sought to do all these months, is to come into fresh contact with the reality of who God is. As shown to us in the story of Jesus, of his overcoming of sin, death, and everything that would separate us from the love of God. Fresh contact with that profound truth. What we have seen is a God who is wholly trustworthy, who is able to and desires to draw us to himself, whatever the obstacle, whatever the cost. This is the mystery that's been revealed, Paul writes of, that God is present and committed to you, to me, that he is drawing all people, Jew and Gentile alike, into his household through Jesus, that he has not let anything keep you, keep us from himself. That is a truth that is worth repeating. That is a truth that we need to hear time and time again because it is so difficult to believe at times. It is so difficult because of the circumstances we encounter, because of what we experience in ourselves and in those around us in the wider world. Some of you have buried family members in the recent weeks. Some of you have crushing disappointment, shattered dreams. So there is something of value in being reminded of the truth of God's goodness. And my desire for you is that you will have been confirmed, deepened in the conviction of God's goodness and trustworthiness, of his being for you. Because that kind of knowledge is healing. That kind of knowledge is freeing. It is transformative. And it forms the basis for a different kind of life, whatever we experience in the world. That's what the last few chapters of Romans have been all about, this different way of life. And this new way of life is referred to here in verse 26 as the obedience that comes through faith. Through Jesus, Paul is saying, God has made it possible for you in your sin, in your brokenness, in your disappointments, to live in line with the pleasing and perfect will of God. Despite our, sinward, our inward selfish bent, despite the ineffectiveness of the law, God in Jesus has made a way for you and I to live the lives for which we were made, the lives for which we most deeply long. What we are unable to do, what our external standards are unable to do, God in Christ has done is doing. Paul makes the particular point here, right in the very beginning, verse 25, that God is able to establish you according to the gospel. 
The phrase here suggests that the gospel is both the means by which we're established and also the the standard, the thing to which we are being built up. The gospel is both the power and the norm to which our lives are according. We might put it this way. Jesus both shows us what it is to live the truly human life, good, true, and beautiful, and he also makes it possible for us to enter into that reality by his death, by his resurrection, by his sending of the Spirit. He strengthens us to live this way. When Jesus calls his first disciples, he declares to them, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. There is a a transformative nature to this enterprise, walking with Jesus. And the one doing the work is Christ himself. He is establishing, he is supporting, strengthening the work of God in the lives of his followers. You are not the fundamental mover in your life with Christ. He is. He is the one that establishes you, who works in you to bring about obedience that pleases him and blesses you. That's not to say that you and I have no part to play in our our growth in Christ, in our sanctification. But it is to alleviate the burden that so easily comes from measuring up on our own or being the engine of our own growth. You don't establish yourself. You cannot. You don't support yourself. You cannot. You don't strengthen yourself. You cannot. That is the work of God in your life, who works all things, as we've seen, for our good, who's working now in situations that cause us to lament and grieve, to establish us in Christ, according to the gospel. He is able. He desires to do this. You can trust him to do this. So then you can engage now in the work of holiness, in the offering up of your body as a living sacrifice, confident that the one who's made all things, who's redeemed you, who's bringing things to completion, is working to establish and strengthen you. You can be confident he will not be frustrated in that work. He will accomplish his good purposes in you. Though we are so often aware of our failings, our shortcomings, you and I can be confident of God's ability to bring about in us the kind of gospel life that he desires. That is our hope. That is our only hope of such a life. And for all of this, Paul writes, glory forever is due to God through Christ. Because he's brought us near, we who were far off, And because he is able to establish us in this new and glorious way of life. Because of the gospel and the ways he's worked in history to accomplish his good purposes. Glory is due him. When we hear and receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the result is this this surge of praise and adoration. This too is one of the goals of this sermon series. That as a people... We would grow in heartfelt praise and adoration of Jesus, giving glory to God. As we see, as we come into fresh contact with what God has done, who he's shown himself to be, we can't help but be caught up in the worship and glory that is due to him. And the phrase here is literally glory for the ages, glory that does not end. We come in and out of worship, right? 10 to 11.30 and that sort of thing. And we experience perhaps in our lives glimpses of God's glory and we're caught up in the adoration of it. 
But Paul's point here is the glory of God endures forever. It is being given at all times for the ages. So to grow in our adoration now is to participate and prepare for a glory that is permanent and never-ending. This is why our worship takes on importance. It is for the ages. Worship now is a taste of a permanent and eternal reality. Paul here uses this infrequent description of God as the only wise God. It's a bit curious. And the point that he seems to be making here is that history is unfolding according to God's wisdom. That God's wisdom is playing out in the mystery revealed, the, the invitation of the Gentiles into the people of God, the proclamation of Jesus. The unfolding of history, according to Paul, is not arbitrary. We're not careening from one near disaster to the next. We so often experience life in such a way. I so often experience life in such a way. But the declaration of Romans is that God is the master of ceremonies, ushering history along to its climax in the life and mystery of Jesus. And the final word of the letter in response to all this, to this glorious mystery, God fulfilling his purposes for salvation in history, is simply, amen. This word of affirmation and agreement. In light of the gospel, in light of God's purposes in the world, what we know, what is revealed in Romans, this one word sums up the total human response. Jesus, in the garden before his death, exemplifies this when he says, not my will, but yours, amen. He exemplifies it at the start of his earthly ministry when he declares, I only do what I see my father doing, amen. Truly, yes, let it be so. Agreement with God's good and gracious purposes. More than just a word, amen defines the posture of those who are in Christ. Yes, to the God who draws us to himself, who's establishing us, and who in his wisdom is drawing all things to their glorious conclusion. We live out in Christ and amen to the ways of God. But what does all this have to do with lament? A couple of closing thoughts. First, giving glory to God means more than just celebration. The practice of bringing our sadnesses and griefs to God is a way of honoring him. Of taking seriously that he is the God of history. That he is the God who is guiding all things. It's a way of declaring our sense of trust in him, saying we do not understand. We do not see how it is working out. This does not make sense. Declaring that to God is a way of giving glory and honor to him. It's in fact a way of saying amen to God, saying we don't understand, but we, we know the promises you have made. We know the goodness of your character, the glory of who you are. We know you are the only wise God. Expressions of our grief and our longings to God is a means of, of giving them over to him, honoring him by such a thing, and allowing ourselves then to be conformed to his purposes. That's the second thought here. Through lament, the Spirit of God works to establish us in the gospel, 
to strengthen and support us as we bring our sadness, our mourning to God. We are entering into this honest engagement with him. We're growing in intimacy with a God who desires to establish and strengthen us. And as that space with him is opened up, the spirit works in us to bring about greater alignment with God, greater Christ-likeness. It's the, the spirit groaning in us as we've seen before. You see this process occur time and again in the Psalms of Lament, where so often the psalmist begins in grief and sadness with this feeling of being far from God, but concludes in praise and glory given to God with this sense of alignment with his purposes. The Spirit of God works through the practice of lament. The third and final thing here is simply that the God who Paul describes here, the, Paul, the, the God who Paul gives glory to here in these closing verses, revealed throughout the entire letter, is so very good, is so very wise, is completely trustworthy, is worthy of our lament. The picture of God that has emerged these past weeks and months as we've journeyed through Romans is a picture of a God who does not despise our weaknesses, who does not allow anything to separate us from the love of God. He is worthy of our grief and sadness. You can entrust your most pressing griefs, your most crushing disappointments, knowing that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is able and eager to receive them. He's not surprised. You will not express anything that will catch him off guard. And nor is he indifferent. Such is his desire for you, his goodness, and his commitment to you and your flourishing in Christ. He gladly receives our sorrows. So for these reasons, we will take the next few moments. As we conclude the sermon, we're going to have some different artwork displayed here on the screen that will hopefully help us articulate our own sorrows and sadnesses. Some music will play. You have an index card or two in your bulletin. You can also grab one of those cards nearby in the plastic cup. There's pens and pencils in there. Those of us worshiping online, there will be a number that will be put on the chat uh, that you can text a lament to uh, through the live stream. It will be kept anonymous, so feel free to be open and honest there. And I want to encourage all of us in the next few moments to be still and to listen, to pay attention to your own heart. Ask God to reveal to you the sadness, the grief that you are carrying. And then on these cards, or in that text number, we're asking you to write four things. One is ex an expression of personal lament. I'm not as patient as I desire to be. I see the sin of anger in me. I, I'm lonely. My body is not healthy. I'm struggling to know the love of God. Whatever it might be, just an expression of personal lament, something you are carrying with regard to yourself, your own person. That's the first thing. The second thing is an expression of lament regarding our families. It could be your immediate family or your family of origin more broadly. Each of our families are marked by sin and brokenness. And we can name and acknowledge this reality before God. My relationship with my sibling is broken. I'm not as close to my child as I'd like to be. I have resentment toward my parents. I have this legacy of substance abuse, of an unhealthy emotional pattern, whatever it might be. So the second thing is a familial lament. The third 
is to record an expression of lament regarding the world more broadly. That might be simpler because it's kind of at arm's length. But we might name the realities of injustice, of poverty and equity in the world, the living legacy of racism in our country, the, the failures of love and care in our city and state regarding the, the undocumented, the unborn, the uninsured and unhoused. Whatever God might bring to your heart that provokes sadness about the world, I invite you to put that there as the third thing. And fourth and finally, we're asking you to write one specific longing, a longing you have for God to do something with regard to these laments. The first three are personal, familial, global. They're just stating plainly what it is that grieves you. This makes me sad. I hate that this is the way it is. But this fourth one is actually asking you, inviting you to ask God to do something, a longing for him to intercede, to bring about change. So three laments, and this is just a prompt. If you just get to one or two or whatever it is, that's fine. It's meant as a tool for you, personal, familial, global, and then one longing on that card. And for those of us in the room, in a few moments when we come to receive the body and blood of Christ, you will we'll bring that forward and we'll lay them on the altar. There'll be a basket here. It's a sign of giving over our laments, our sorrows and sadnesses, lifting them to him, lifting them to the one who is good and faithful, who's called us to himself and is now establishing us. We'll bring them to the only wise God, to whom glory is due for all ages. Let me pray for us. Gracious and almighty God, I ask that your spirit would move in and among us this day, these next few moments. Our lives are so often filled with busyness and with, um, yeah, things that might distract us from the grief and the, the sadnesses of our lives. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work and quicken our hearts in this moment to come into touch with the things that we're carrying this morning, the disappointments, the things that we long after, the areas of ourselves and the world that we cannot reconcile with your good will. And I pray that there would be a sense as we do this, O oh Lord, of you meeting us in these needs. And even more than that, I pray that there would be a sense of being able to entrust these things to you, O oh Lord, because of your goodness, because of who you've shown yourself to be in Jesus. Would you strengthen us now, O oh Lord, to lift our hearts to you? In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want you just to be still, watch these images, and reflect.